Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Okay. Okay. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So uh, this is actually kind of fresh in my mind here. I wanted to, to get some feedback from you. I had a, had a good conversation uh, actually just last night with a group of guys and talking about a number of, a number of things. But one of those was uh, just kind of how we live out our faith. And it, it got into this just kind of mental model. How do, how do, I, how do I picture that? What does that look like? And, and one of the guys in the group was sharing, uh, you know, for him, it, it sort of fit that, like he pictures the overflow. And when it comes to living out his faith, it's, it's the overflow of, of love and joy and, and, and caring for others. Um, and so as he was saying this, I was just kind of picturing that, you know, that bucket that's overflowing and spilling and anywhere you place that bucket, it just starts to overflow. And, and what I thought was wild about him saying that is that's exactly how I used to just by default picture my faith was, was the overflow. And wherever I go, I want to overflow and love to others. But for some reason now that's, that I almost pictured the complete opposite. When I think about my faith, it's not overflow so much as absorption. And, and maybe that's as I've just experienced more of the hurt and pain of others and seen that, but there's this like connection with forgiveness for me and, and bearing the, the, the sins of one another, you know, basically being Christ is to absorb that suffering. And so when I go somewhere, it's, it's more of a sponge than a bucket. Um, and so I, I th- I just thought I hadn't like consciously made that decision to become, oh, this is how I want to see my faith. But I just noticed that contrast in this conversation. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And just, yeah, it's pretty fresh, but I wanted to get your take on it. Yeah, we call that fresh man and better eat it today. It'll be worthless tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so for listeners, you can chew on it because actually the magic of the internet, it doesn't deteriorate. You can listen to us a year from now. The man is still sounds fresh. <laughs> Or we still sound as dumb as we've all always sounded. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, I would say the, that the that what we I don't think what we fully appreciate or have uh, perceived is that generally it's you can't give away something that you don't embody, and this is one of the uh, downfalls of the Enlightenment. Is it's, it's basically the service becomes an information transfer. And so what we imagine is we get filled up with all this knowledge and then we transfer that to other people. And that's called the overflow, which there's nothing in our anatomical features that uh, displays that or depicts that. You don't stuff your brain and then your brain kind of oozes out <clears throat> over into other people. In fact, your brain can't even generate a body. So you can't embody it just by your brain. I guess it's a long-winded way of saying, I think older notions are you 
there has to be formation before there's transformation. And we're big into transformation and overflow and, and, and all those things are <clears throat> well intended and they're exactly right. But I don't think we know how to get there with the, with the overflow. Uh, I'm even thinking in terms of uh, what Jesus, because uh, you talk about running over. And uh, in, uh, Luke, he said, give, and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give into your bosom? The same measure that that you meet out, it'll be measured to you. Now that's a dynamic in here of a running over life, but it's a running over life that first comes about. You notice the first word "give." Here's my point. By the way, listeners, we're making this up as we go, I and mean, we never follow a script. But Jesus said, you're far better off if you give than you receive. Now, love in the Godhead is giving and receiving. But in beings made in his image, we mirror God. A mirror depicts person you look at, but reverses the image. So for us, love is at first receiving and giving. Where does it say that in the Bible? We do have listeners who want to know, where is that in the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) Curious minds want to know. First John. Right. He first loved us. That's right. right. We only love because he first loved us. In fact, think about this, Pat. I once heard a pastor preaching and saying, <clears throat> so God chooses to love you and da-da-da-da-da. And I spoke to him afterward and I said, God doesn't choose to love us. The Bible says God is love. He's an African-American. I said, you don't choose every morning to be African-American. You are African-American. If God didn't exist, love wouldn't exist. Oh boy, that could that could be a whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, Pat's got this Rolodex future <laughs> podcast. Make a note here. Yeah, make a note. <laughs> so love wouldn't exist. Yeah. But, but is but because we're made in the image of God. We have to be formed in love. Formed in love is receiving, then giving. This, by the way, Pat actually fits the way the human brain works. The right hemisphere tends to be receptive. The left tends to be action-oriented. And the Eucharist, which is take was reception it wasn't go grab anything you want in the garden it was all this has been given this is called all given to you and 
eat, which is active. So this whole notion that we receive, then give, the power of all the, the, the disciplines and the Eucharist confession is you get to a point in your life where you become like Jesus so that regardless whether it was in the Bible or not, you would look around at people and go, you know, life is, my life will be blessed. I will, I will experience shalom if I give rather than receive. Yeah, I think you connected some dots there for me. I was thinking particularly the formation part and and yet when when I I sort of reflect on how I used to think about this, it was information sharing. You know, I have been given the gift of the knowledge of, of Christ's sacrifice. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's important to understand that from a knowledge perspective. But when I was of the mindset of, oh now I now I ought to go share this gift, it was tell others about it. Very, you know, intellectual knowledge based and I hadn't I hadn't learned what it means to love yet I hadn't learned uh, what it means to bear the burdens of someone else I hadn't learned what it means to uh, put others above myself even to the extent that it it deeply pains me you know that's right um, and and yeah so I think it's that formative piece that uh you do see today more of the, the kind of the evangelical idea, which is this moment, this thing happened. So now I go share this thing with someone else. But it's a lack of formation. That is probably what, what stands out for me. And so I think I've, I've probably swung the, pain, the pendulum to the other side, the absorption idea, absorb suffering and, and bear the burdens. That's important, but I don't think, I don't think it means the overflow is incorrect it just means there is a, a maybe a staging that formation that's necessary before you actually get a genuine overflow and you're not just sort of trying to trying to drum up this inner spiritual outpouring whatever yeah the, the, yeah the ambition the aspiration is laudable it's, it's exactly right so we we uh, we try on these podcasts never to you know we're not uh, critiquing or assailing the intent, what we are suggesting is, uh, for example, you made a comment a moment ago, you know, my knowledge, da, 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 da. Well, is, I think what you're coming into, Pat, is an appreciation, a recognition that if you go all the way back to Genesis, knowledge is starts with Eros. Adam knew Eve. And knowledge was acquired by tasting, touching. And the overflow in their bodies was a result of making love. God is love. He creates us to make cultures 
I happen to think, and we're not alone in this, but is so we would be if we had not fallen a prepared bride. And if God is love and we're made in his image, the first thing that Adam and Eve begin to make is more love. But that love, that is a knowledge base. That's how it was understood mm. prior to the Enlightenment. It wasn't an information transfer. It wasn't a Vulcan head, mind meld. Of, <laughs> oh, Eve, I see you. I see you too. <laughs> kind of a Mork and Mindy thing or whatever. Uh, it, yeah. And that's so the overflow that even you see if our bodies tell God's story, in that first story, there is overflow. It comes from love. And it is, quite frankly, uh, not forced. Hmm. That's that's a. It's not forced. Yeah. It could be another way to put it. <clears throat> you can't pass on what you don't embody. If Adam was, well, we don't need to extend what happens with Adam and Eve, but you get it. And I, I, I find it fascinating that um, prior to COVID, uh, a couple of years ago, I was invited for one day with a group of pastors. They had received, um, they were subsidized by a large foundation in the Midwest. It was, the subject was preaching. They were, I think it was a year that they were in some kind of a training program. And I was one of the uh, facilitators for one of the workshops. It was uh, August. And so we met, big round table. I would say 15 or so were there. And uh, so I asked everyone, just to go around and tell me kind of the state of their soul and, you know, what they hope to get out of this and so on and so forth. What was remarkable to me, Pat, was almost to a man, they went around and they were, they were really enjoying their preaching break for the summer and they were not looking forward to getting back into the pulpit the pressure of coming up with a sermon week after week after week and having to put together an outline and so on and so forth it was i thought it was remarkable how many of them it, it reminded me of how when i played football Football wrecked everyone in my summers. <laughs> hmm. I tried to go to the beach. I tried, but I'm always in the back of my mind. Come August 15, you've got to be at this hot, stinking camp. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Why does football grow up in Michigan start on the hottest day in the summer and ends where we're freezing our toes off at the end of the winter? <laughs> I said, who designed this game? <laughs> And that's how they were. And, and so by the time it came around, I said, you know, here's a remarkable thing, guys. Jesus says, oh, God tells us, his words are living and active. And, and, from, and from, these, from this drinking of this and taking this in, your life overflows. And I hear, I hear you essentially saying the life-giving word is killing me. Mm. Now, a lot of other pastors will, I mean, they find other ways to do that. They might 
you know, get a bunch of different preachers on the calendar and so on and so forth. But all that's denoting that it is wearing to have to tee up a 30-minute lecture week after week after week that causes people to want to come back. I've often said the enlightenment, that's an enlightenment approach, is not only exhausted, it's exhausting. And so you have you have men who wonderful intention that want to have the overflowing life. But the evidence is that outflow is coming from holes all around the side and the bottom of the bucket. It ain't coming out of the top. Hmm. It's only going to last so long. Yes. Or you start, you start patching that bucket because you know your soul's running out of enthusiasm. And so the notion now becomes it's more blessed for me to receive than to give. I got to fill this bucket up. And all the notions about that, everything just falls apart, frankly. Um, we were with some, a friend last night for dinner, and but we were talking about how um, swapping stories about kids they knew, he knew in high school and involved in various ministries. And he made a comment that I hear over and over and over. He's 33 now, this man, and he goes, uh, yeah, I don't think that guy's a Christian anymore. And... By and large, it's because the enthusiasm they felt going to camp or being in various groups and all these things, they simply get to college. Mm-hmm. Then you get, you know, you, so you know you, you've seen that happen. Pat, yep. and, um, and it's because uh, they were never formed. Or uh, the better way to put it is, If you don't embody this, you know, the quote, the overflowing life is a lot like saying, uh, we're going to run marathons for Jesus. Well, you know, I, I could probably do that for a couple of miles. I'm pretty sure I can't do 26 unless I'm going to walk. And uh, it, it just, that, that would be exhausting. Because I don't embody, I've not trained my body. And if your body isn't an ally, it's an enemy to this. And your body will shrivel. That's why Ken Robinson is famous for saying in the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment treats people as brains on a stick. And so you're not going to church, for example, to taste and see the goodness of you're more fortunate if you give than receive. So let me give to you and fill you that one day you might feel the goodness in your bones, in your bones of giving. The average Christian when it comes time to giving, 
which is often writing a check, they don't feel goodness in that. They feel, dang, the things we could have bought with that money. Hmm. I'm reminded of just the the idea of of giving to others, particularly, you know, it's easy to think about that if everyone's at a level playing field. But if others owe you debt and you were to give to them, essentially wiping out that debt, you know, using that as a metaphor for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it gets real for me because it's <laughs> much easier to give to someone else who doesn't owe you, but to give mm-hmm. to someone who does, suddenly it's like, oh, whoa, you know, you, you are absorbing that cost. And, you know, I've heard that, uh, I think we've talked about that with forgiveness and absorbing the cost. There is, there is a cost to pay for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- yeah. that's, that's a little different. You know, it starts to to connect to me to this idea of safety. Um, The person who's giving, if we're always giving, I'm thinking, uh, man, we're encouraging, you know, we're uh, we're supporting. Uh, It's all the positive. And and I think what that gets us to is what we see today, which is this emphasis on safety, whether it's psychological safety or safe spaces, you know, a place where you can go and just feel, feel, feel fine. Uh, in order to have that, there has to be a lot of positive encouragement, uh, et cetera. And I'm reminded of a, of what a, a friend said, which was he really struggled in one of his small groups because everyone could just say whatever they wanted about the scripture they were reading. And it was just awkward to correct or call out anything that you may disagree with. So Mike, you and I show up the small group and you read and have this whatever moment with your, with your reading, even if it's totally off base, you know, if it's a safe space. Um, everyone's sort of trained to just go with it, either ignore it or oh, I'm like, that's good. You know, that's good. You have that. You pick that up. And I was just thinking, man, that is not a good and we've talked about the difference between safe and good, but that is not a good group. That's not a that's not a a, a good way to to be formed in our faith. Um, and and I see it in the Christian world as that. I see it in the secular world as as other things. It requires someone who can absorb the cost. It requires individuals to be able to absorb the the hurt and the call outs and we've had it on this podcast where you'll be like, yeah, Pat, remember what you said earlier? Yeah, that was not correct. <laughs> and there's it goes a, both ways. Right. Right. And, and that's, I've just grown to truly deeply value that um, because it's, it's forming, it's formative. It's forming me as a believer. And that is, I think where I start to connect with this outpouring this overflow there, there has to be, there's a point to which that uh, does not get us to be pursuing goodness. Yes, and 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 it's important for us to underline that um, everything forms us. Uh, so what you described, I, I felt the same way. Why I really am not drawn to most groups because it's a, a crude way to put it is we're pooling our ignorance. Uh, but the better way to say it without being not trying to offend is we're being malformed. But everything is formative. 
But if you're malformed, say in the group you described, <clears throat> then you really don't have overflow, you have output. And output is not necessarily embodied fully. It's more just lodged in your brain somewhere and you retrieve it. And so that which came in your ears goes out your mouth. Yeah. And again, we're back to, which is fascinating by the way, neuroscience is aligning with, is for Adam and Eve, it started, the knowledge started with the hands touching. That's why even the placement of the hands in the Eucharist is critical to tasting and seeing because then you are touching another person's body. Jesus. And Adam touching and Eve touching one another, aroused. But the knowledge that was transmitted was through hands, probably lips, but then also in the parts of the body that penetrate one another and so on and so forth. So you can see it's a wildly different view of knowledge that gave great place to what is called the mystical presence of Christ in the bread and the wine. And you are having a foretaste of consummation. He is entering your body. And we're, we're just simply in a, a world, the Western world, that is so skittish about talking about this that we don't embody, we're cutting off the body from this. In fact, I find it fascinating, Pat, if you read the rest of the book of Genesis, the 10 generations, they're like ripples in a pond going out. Um, the What denotes every generation is this phrase, and he went into her. And he went into her. And he went into her. I dare say if I were to preach that at uh, almost any church, I would get emails by the scads about how inappropriate that was. The same people who, if the statistics are anywhere near to what they report, will be watching that on their mobile device that night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what you were saying earlier was connecting. I think I think it's a bit hyperbolic to to say, but you know, knowledge doesn't matter. What matters is what you love doesn't matter what you know, matters what you love. And again, that's, of course it matters what you know. That's, yeah. that's important. But What you love is what you know, actually, would be a good way to put it. There you go, yeah. The 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 focus, the point being, I, I love, Christopher West talks about it too, in Our Bodies Tell God's Story, but just that connection with Eros. We don't think about that with knowledge. Um, but... Whew, if, if you yes. are what you love, that, that flies in the face of a lot of things today. That's right. Um, but, but, and, and put, put all politics aside and just think about the church and our faith community. 
I mean, that's, that's the, to call into question, let's stop for a second. Let's stop questioning all the wants and loves of others and just question our own souls for what we want and what we love. There's some dark stuff there. Yes, it really is. And, um, you know, we would, I think we do well to listen to some prophetic voices, chief of which, in, in my experience, has been uh, Ian McGilchrist, not a believer, but uh, in his monumental book, The Master and His Emissary, you know, he points out that the clarion truth in Christianity up to the Enlightenment was the word became flesh. He said, since then, the clarion message in Western Christianity is the flesh became word. Now, the difference, Pat, is prior to the Enlightenment, if you didn't embody it, you didn't know it. And if you didn't know it, he can't pass it on. In the Enlightenment, you know it if you've heard it. And you can say it. The overflowing life is mistaken for my brain is stuffed with stuff that I want to tell other people about. I, I can't help but connect this to discipleship in, in my mind. <laughs> you know, what, I, what I love is we're, we're talking about we talked many times about the importance of reading fiction and fantasy. And I'm reading a, uh, a series now. Uh, it's Will, Will White's The Cradle series that a buddy recommended. And one thing I love about this, this book series is like this emphasis on the formation of these two main characters. One was this, this female character that was, uh, you know, lost her family at a young age and just has been basically put through hell by uh, this uh, this guy who's training her. Um, and it, and it kind of meets, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Hannah movies or anything. I think Amazon has a recent one of that. But basically the dad is training the girl to be this, you know, uh, complete survivalist and you know strong character whatever but but like the, the the book repeatedly talks about how important it is in order to to grow and to progress on this path that they call it you, you know you must go through deep deep suffering mm. and i'm just reminded of when i was uh much younger for me, it was in high school when I started to take my faith seriously and just filled with ambition and filled with so little actual knowledge, you know, n very little of my knowledge was embodied. I was very insulated as most are in their high school lives. And it makes me think of high school and college as it, it, it blows my mind that we have these insulated kind of communities where the, the knowledge that I have comes from others who really don't have much bodily knowledge. They haven't been in the world. They don't know the world, but, mm -hmm. um, but yet, man, do we think we know so much mm -hmm. and, and just, just something about that of whew, that season of formation is so important. And, and so many probably haven't had it. 
um, which which you when you combine that with ambition, that's a very <laughs> dangerous thing. <laughs> because at and I say that a lot of this, I don't I don't know if we have how many younger listeners we have, but hopefully we do have some because there is that sense of man with with an ambitious younger individual has tremendous power to do many things some of those may be great and some of those may be very detrimental and they may seem great at the time you know and so like there is there is a consider heavily the path you've been trained on Um, and if you haven't been then ambitious can really be dangerous and I, i i just never understood that i didn't grasp that until i was late 20s and man do i wish i understood it earlier Maybe you couldn't. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I often wonder if, yeah, if, if if our approach to disciple, I think about raising my own kids, you know, and, and I hope, I hope I'm able to help them navigate that earlier. I uh, So they're not as hot-headed as I was. <laughs> 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 maybe I won't be able to, but I, I do wonder, you know, if, if that's a missing piece when it comes to how we how we raise kids in the faith and just this idea of raising them on the path and the form, formative path there doesn't it does include suffering and i don't think we that means we cause suffering but i do wonder if if we withhold it too much yeah yeah that's well you know you got that scratch pad over there <clears throat> put over there uh, another podcast but um the uh, there's a lot of evidence with the introduction of the coining of this word adolescence in the late 1800s we created a whole cottage industry of uh, what i used to call the matthew mcconaughey syndrome which uh, delayed adulthood to (laughs) keep the little kitties entertained in church Um, tradition i wasn't raised in um, the assumption was at a certain very young age like almost like a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah you're an adult and we're not going to entertain you anymore But the but your formation continues, and that's a that's a longer podcast because you know how would we reconcile that uh, Jesus is raised in a tradition where you can't become a rabbi until you're thirty? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it had to do with this hasn't entered your body enough. And there are still, there are, of course, Christian traditions that you can't become priest until you're 30 because it hasn't entered your body. And I think that this is why I'm sympathetic to my Protestant evangelical pastor friends is you're expected to gin up a sermon 30-minute sermon every single week that is awesome, incredible, inspiring, informative. I don't think it's humanly possible to embody that much week after week after week. And um, that's another podcast, too. To your point about discipleship, Pat, I think you're spot on in this regard. I have yet to hear, maybe I just haven't been reading much, uh, hearing much, but when people talk about discipleship, I rarely ever hear them explain to me why Jesus says, 
If you have any dis any possessions, you can't be my disciple. I'm always reminded of John Adams famously said, facts are stubborn things. And that is, that's, there's no soft edges to that statement. If you have any possessions, you cannot be my disciple. Not maybe sort of, kind of, uh, probably aren't. Uh, going to be real hard to be my disciple. Uh, none of this rounding off of language. No one can be my disciple who has any possessions. Why did Jesus say that? Why is that true? Because things possess you. Goes even deeper. Go back to Adam and Eve. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Hmm. In the marital gospel, Jesus marries us. We are his possession and he is ours. If you have any other possessions, you cannot be his disciple, his bride. I only draw this out for this regard that in the modern gospel, it's often truncated down to Jesus died for you. He loves you. He's died for you. Invite him into your heart. Go to heaven. Make disciples. All that data is correct. It's just very, very shriveled. Because once you get to making disciples, I was with a campus ministry for eight years. I don't think I ever broached the subject of, uh, by the way, before we get going on this thing, if you have any possessions, and there's ways we can ascertain if you do, do, you, do you, we, we can't even raise this topic because you can't do it. Can't do it. Of course, any halfway intelligent person is going to go, why did he say that? And this is where we're not very good in our tradition. We don't start with why. And the why goes all the way back to knowledge and Adam and Eve, and love, and making love, and tasting, and touching, and penetrating, nuptial union. The mystery of the mystical, enchanted gospel. We're just not very good at it. 